Hi, I'm Richard Cutland, and welcome to another episode of Tank Nuts. I'm super chuffed today to welcome the commanding officer of the Royal Tank Regiment, Lieutenant Colonel Jim Howard. So, Jim, thank you firstly so much for joining us. I realise you're an extremely busy man, so to take a day off to do this is really appreciated. Uh, what have you been up to lately? Uh, it's great to see you again, Richard. Um, we have been pretty busy. We're preparing for quite a busy year. Uh, exercises in a number of places around the world. I think we've got some tanks going to Finland, got teams going to America. Uh, a couple of months ago, we came back from the uh, the Arctic Circle um, doing some work with Canadians. So business as usual, not all tanks, uh, but interesting stuff. So I think first things first then, um, obviously you are the commanding officer of the finest tank regiment in the world. Not that I'm biased, of course, in any way, shape or form. Um, a little bit about the Royal Tank Regiment, perhaps, for those that, that aren't aware. A bit about the Royal Tank Regiment. We are the first and oldest tank regiment in the world, uh, born out of war, a necessity to break through that trench warfare. So when you had that stalemate between the trenches, uh, the tank was invented to, to breach that gap and punch through the German defences, which it did hugely successfully. Uh, and the Royal Tank Regiment was born uh, from that experience. And um, from there, we've moved on, uh, moved with the times, uh, and we've gone from uh, very early Mark IV tanks uh, to where we are now with the uh, the Challenger II. So, Jim, you were kind enough to bring a couple of props with you today. And for those that, that aren't watching the video and just listening, we've got a uh, face guard, face veil. Yep, World, uh, War, uh, World War I tanky uh, face guard. So, for either end of the history spectrum, uh, we've got something. So the face veil you can see in front of you there is, for those of you who have not got video, it's uh, it's effectively like a, a leather mask with a chainmail drop that goes down to your chin. And the idea being was that in uh, in the Mark IV tanks in World War One, whilst the tanks were bulletproof, when a bullet would hit the outside, it would knock off what's called an armoured scab uh, and throw a bit of iron around the tank itself. And so crews had these masks to protect them from these small shrapnels and fragments of metal that were almost continually winging around the tank while they were trying to operate. On the other end of the historical spectrum, you've got a 120mm uh, fin round. So this is the, uh, the main armament of the, uh, of the tank. The blue piece, or the outer casing, uh, and the white piece, which is at the back, when it goes down the barrel, these are there to sort of secure it. When it comes out of the barrel, they ping off and you're effectively looking at the, the metal dart, which you can just see the tip of at the front, which is what goes down uh, across the battlefield and hits whatever you're shooting at. And you yourself as a person then, Jim. So, I mean, A, the first question I guess is what was before the army and why the army? So, uh, I have got a, I've got a business degree. Uh, I went to university. I went to work in a, uh, a consultancy. Uh, it was dreadful. It was. I won't name the uh, the organisation, but it was a bit like David Brent's office. Uh, and I, I think after six months of that, I needed something else to do. And I had some friends who joined the army, who were telling me what a great time they were having. Uh, and so I so I gave it a go. Went to Sandhurst. Um, had a look round at various regiments, uh, and the Royal Tank Regiment caught my eye. The, the history, the heavy armour, uh, obviously the, the the black coveralls, all the sort of brand that we're lucky enough to have. Uh, and I went there, and I've never looked back. And a little bit about Sanders. I mean, I'm sure a few people have heard of Sanders. I worked in Sanders for a couple of years. Um, I absolutely loved it. I mean, just for the pure location. Um, tell those for, that are unaware what Sanders is. So Sanders is the basic, uh, the British Army's basic officer training establishment. Uh, it's a year long, and it's designed to take you with no military experience at the beginning all the way through. And after 12 months, uh, it spits you out as a trained officer 
ready to go into specialist training. So if, you, uh, if you're joining an all-tank regiment, you'll go and do a six-month, uh, what's called the Troop Leaders course, where you'll learn to be a tank commander, which is where I met you. <laughs> Indeed, uh, you, you reminded me of that. Made me feel super yeah. old the first time. <laughs> you were my instructor on that. Um, or, you know, if you join the Royal Signals or the Royal Engineers, let's say you'll go off on their sort of specialist courses. But it's a 12-month basic officer course. So how old were you when you hit Sanders then? Um, a little older than most at the time. Uh, so I was about 23. That was not super um, old, is it? But it's not super What's old. What's the average age then for Sandhurst? So the average age is 21, 22, but there's a, there's a very broad age range of, uh, of people who go through and, and a vast uh, uh, array of experience and backgrounds. I think the Army's a lot broader than perhaps it used to be 10, 20 years ago. Uh, and uh, it's very much that meritocracy that sort of, you know, it's, it's less about backgrounds for sure. And then, obviously, career transition-wise, I mean, you obviously don't start being a commanding officer of a regiment. That comes with experience, and obviously, you know, you're incredibly good at your job. So what was the first job then? So you joined the regiment. Where, where were they based at the time? So I initially joined the 2nd Royal Tank Regiment, where you were at the time as well. Uh, and your first role as, uh, as a young officer in an armoured regiment is as a troop leader, uh, where you'll command uh, four tanks, uh, your own, uh, you have a troop sergeant and a couple of troop corporals, and that is that is the basic starter job, uh, and it's really to help you learn to understand the trade and learn to sort of command people. And as a, I mean, I can only imagine, obviously, from my time in the army. I mean, how I mean, soldiers view officers, and we won't go into all of that. But what was your when you first went to the regiment for the first time there? What was your sort of like? What was running through your mind as far as you know? I'm going to have a sergeant who's maybe been in I don't know, thirteen, fifteen, sixteen years or whatever. Um, were you one of these people that went there thinking, you know, I'm going to learn everything I can, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I know everything now because I've done Sandhurst, or I, I was pretty terrified. I remember um, on one of the first few days when I was going to meet my troop uh, for the first time, walking down to the tank park from the from the accommodation, trying to think of what I was going to say and and trying to be inspirational and convince them. And um, my troop sergeant uh, met me around the corner. Um, a guy called John Kneebone, um met me around the corner. Not John, very well. Uh, yeah. Top man. <laughs> and um, just had a quick chat with me and said, look, you know, people appreciate you're new. They don't expect you to know everything. Um, just work hard, be yourself, and th this will work. And best advice I ever had. Uh, and I applied that and, um, you know, touch wood, it went reasonably well. So what happened in that first period as a troop leader? What, what was your first, you know, exercises and this sort of thing? Yeah, so so a very, very busy couple of years. Uh, I went straight from Sanders to, to Bosnia, more or less. Oh, wow. uh, the year after that, we were in Kosovo. In between those those deployments, we spent a lot of time in Germany exercising on the tanks. Um, and then we went to, to Batas, which is the British Army's training estate in Canada, where all the tanks exercise. And then from there, we went on to Iraq as part of the invasion in 2003. So for a young man, a young officer, mm -hmm. a very busy few years, uh, but great few years. How did you find Bosnia? What was the sort of impression of Bosnia? Bosnia was an interesting place. Um, you know, lots of sort of political stuff going on, uh, delineations between the religions and the sides, but a, but a beautiful country. Um, very much a sort of peacekeeping operational tour, um, trying to keep the warring factions aside. Um, but a good experience for a young officer and, and a good time to get to know your troop um, there's no better way for an officer and, and the soldiers to, to get to know, to bond, than being busy. And so being on exercise or operational tours is the best place to do that, I think. And so you did troop leader for two years, three years? Yep. Uh, what, what was after that? So in terms, of, in terms of my career, I think that the highlights are probably uh, the, the tank troop leader, which is the, the first job. Uh, I've been the reconnaissance troop leader for the regiment. And so in a regiment of tanks, uh, clearly the Challenger 2 is the main um, vehicle you have. But we have a, a number of uh, scimitar reconnaissance vehicles that go ahead and find the enemy and report back. 
Uh, and so I, I was the officer uh, commanding those. I've been the operations officer who does the planning for any regimental activity. Um, I've been a squadron leader um, who commands four troops. Um, and then um, now I'm back as the commanding officer. So what stage of your career do you sort of like, I mean, is, is the aspiration always to be the commanding officer? Is that sort of, you know, the, the epitome for what every officer would like to be or...? Um, I think so. People join the army for different reasons, yeah, but yeah. I think um, one of the main reasons people join the army is to to soldier, to work with soldiers, to work with tanks. And so the more time you can spend at regiment, the better. And commanding officer is, is yet another opportunity to serve with a Royal Tank Regiment rather than necessarily be attached to a training establishment. So I was an instructor at Sanders, for example, for two years. Fantastic job, but it's always great to get back to the RTR. And at what stage in your career do you think, like, that's it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to be the commanding officer of the regiment? <laughs> did you get a sort of, like, early warning or something? Or uh... No, no, no. I think uh, you tend to find out about jobs sort of six months or so. Yeah, but yeah. I think, you know, it's a case of just applying yourself, working hard, being enthusiastic, and, and that's how they get on. And what's, what's the best thing about being... I mean, what does the commanding officer actually do? I mean, you know, from my experience, <laughs> I, you shouldn't ask me what the commanding officer does. <laughs> the only time we really saw him was on the parades or if you're in trouble, big um, trouble. <laughs> yeah, so, so I see a lot of people who are in big trouble. Um, I think you do a host of things, you know, everything from as mundane as, as just, just writing reports, uh, you do some planning work. But I think it's also impos- important that you, you, you lead as well. So when the regiment goes out and its tanks and deploys as a whole, the commanding officer will go, he will command his own tank and he will be somewhere near the front leading the activity. Um, but in terms of what I do day to day, it's it's different every day and it, my goodness, it's broad. Do you find, I mean, is there a lot of, I imagine there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of... There is. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of emails in any job and uh, it, it only pins you to your, your computer terminal or your desk as much as you want it to. I think you've got to get out, you've got to go and see people, you've got to go on exercise. It's quite interesting you say about that, because I was asked the other day, actually, they, a lot of people didn't realise that the commanding officer of a regiment actually had a tank as well. For some reason they thought, I don't know, headquarters-based or something, or a, you know, uh, a command vehicle or something like that. But yeah, so your crew, I mean, I certainly I know from my time that it was it was the best crew was the commanding officer's crew. Would you agree with that? I mean, absolutely, you can't say no, can absolutely. you? I mean, <laughs> Especially if they're listening to this. Well, I think I'd, I'd never get a cup of tea made for me in the turret again if I said no. But uh, no, I, I've got a fantastic crew. Um, and when we go on exercise, or more importantly, annual live firing ranges where we do those, um, that's where the crew really comes into play because I don't get on the tank as much as I'd like to. So when I do get on the tank, I rely on the crew being an absolute hundred percent. It was slightly, I mean, unless it's changed dramatically, it was slightly different that you had like, a sergeant would be your operator. So yep. in all intents and purposes, and he was already a qualified crew commander yes. anyway. So obviously, because all the time you're not there, he can step up and command the vehicle. And that's exactly the same. You know, he needs to be able to take command of that tank. If I need to hop off and go somewhere else, he takes command of the tank and it can still fight uh, as a, uh, a weapon system. Yeah. So in your, so how long have you served to date now then? That's... 20 years. 20 years, Christ. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, it's, flown, it's flown past. <laughs> it's absolutely flown past. And I can honestly say I, my, my plan was to leave when I wasn't enjoying it. And, and so I'm still here. So. And what would you say the highlights to date have been? So the highlights are deploying in operations uh, and, and being in the field on tanks, working with soldiers. Um, it's a, it's a people-facing job, uh, and that's what I enjoy the most. And, I mean, we get asked this an awful lot. Things have changed dramatically, as we know, throughout every country, but in particular, sort of the British Army. I mean, when I joined, it was, we had, you know, four RTRs in that particular stage. We're now down to the RTR. Um, where do you see sort of the, the future of armoured warfare going as far as the, the tank regiment's concerned? 
So I think armor warfare will, will continue to be. Uh, it, it goes in and out of fashion. Um, but I think if you look around the world, you know, most of the big nations are still investing in tanks. All the big names, Abrams, Leopard, uh, they're still going through further iterations. You know, we're on A7 for Leopard 2, for example. So people are still investing in them. Uh, and when push comes to the shelf, you know, you absolutely can't beat a tank. So I don't think it's going away. It's going to get smaller. It's going to get more high-tech, but there's still a requirement. I say I remember, I mean, we had these conversations probably 20 years ago. The future, <laughs> of the, you know, the tank is going out. But, I mean, it, and nothing holds ground like a tank. I mean, it's the infantry absolutely. in the tank. So that, that's about it, really. I mean, the perennial argument is always that air power. Air power can take over, particularly attack helicopters. But it, it comes down to the bottom line of a helicopter can, can blow a door in, but it can't see or talk to the person behind the door. And if you're on the ground, that combination of firepower protection but also being able to hold ground and get off and speak to people is what makes the difference for armour. And that's, yeah. that's why it'll, it's all remains key, I think. So if you try, so you start on Challenger 1 then? Afraid not. No, Challenger you two. were straight on to Challenger yeah, 2. On to Challenger has it been two. that long now? It has been that long. It makes me feel <laughs> super old now. Um, so what would you say, um, I know a lot of people are asking this particular question, uh, if, and it's a hard one for you to answer considering what you're doing at the moment. What, do you, what is your sort of... How do you feel about Challenger 2 as a tank, generally? Just, you've obviously had experience with yeah. other, working with other armed forces, and you've seen Leopard 2 and yeah. M1A2 and that sort of thing. But. So, so I think, you know, most of your viewers who play the World of Tanks game will appreciate that all tanks have got different strengths and weaknesses. It's not a case of one being much better than the other. They're all better at different things. And I think for what we need, uh, the Challenger 2 is, is very good. You know, it's very mobile, but it's got very high levels of protection. Key thing is we're getting a big upgrade in about five years, which is more or less a new turret. Uh, which will be a game changer and will put it back to being, I think, probably the best tank in the world. And, I mean, as far as the future is concerned then, so Commander Officer, that's what, two, two and a half years? Still, two and a half years, yep. Um, and what are, you, what are you hoping for then? Are you not allowed to say? Hey, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, I'm, I'm not looking that far forward, to be honest. Um, I'm just having a great time uh, being back with the regiment and enjoying every minute. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Right, so I've got actually a few questions. Well, in right. fact, I say, we, for the first time ever, what we did in the podcast was we, we allowed our audience to ask a few questions. I okay. think for you, we hit about 300 and something questions. So we're going to rattle a few, a few questions. If there's any you don't feel comfortable at or you just don't <laughs> want to answer, then that's absolutely fine. Um, I think we touched on one of them there, the future of the RTR and everything. Um, so I think we've probably probably done that, to be honest. Um Capabilities, here's a good one. Um, somebody asked there, capabilities would you like to have added to a tank? So things like drones and cameras, and that mm. really brings us on quite nicely to Street Fighter. Yes. Maybe you talk a bit about Street Fighter. So capabilities. Um, I think there are, are a number of things I'm particularly interested in. You mentioned Street Fighter, which uh, some people might have seen. It's been on social media quite a lot. It's our, uh, our um, innovation tank. Uh, it's, it's unusual. It's painted in the Berlin camouflage colours, so the sort of white, brown uh, and blue spots. Um, but we've basically been experimenting with uh, where we think the capability could be improved. And so one of the things we've got on that is drones. Now, people think of drones traditionally as the sort of quadcopter. Uh, they are very useful, but we've been playing mainly with uh, unmanned ground vehicles, so, so tractor drones, if you like. Um, these come in a, a selection of sizes. You can have small ones, um, which have either sensors or weapons. You can have bigger ones. Uh, Ryan Mattal will make one that does... Uh, we can keep up with the tank, both in terms of speed and range. You can put anything from anti-tank guided missiles on it to sensors to machine guns. Uh, and that's something we're really, really interested in with because I think the wolf, wolf pack theory that we're operating with, we're having one 
dominant tank and then it has a number of uh, unmanned ground vehicles sort of circling it that perform different roles uh, is something that I think got a lot of mileage in. Um, we are experimenting with the idea of putting anti-tank guided weapons on. That gives you reach. So uh, your average tank cannon has got a tank killing ability of about two kilometres. Missiles take you out to eight, uh, which gives you a bit more stretch on the battlefield. Um, but we've also been playing with some fairly low-tech ideas. Um, it sounds ridiculous, but we've welded some steps onto the back of a tank, so you can now climb up the back of a tank. You could never do that before. <laughs> uh, you always had to go around the front, which A, is a bit of a pain, but you know, if, and seriously, if you're in urban warfare, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't want to be going around the front of the tank to have to climb up. So we've got a, really, we've got a host of ideas, some low-tech, some very, very high-tech that we're, we're playing with at the moment. Um, glass armour. Uh, it's something we're looking at. Really clever system where uh, a series of cameras go on the uh, the turrets. So the commander who sat inside has a fold-down uh, augmented reality visor that then gives his view, the view from the cameras, 360. So he sat there in his chair and effectively the walls of the tank for him disappear. So if you're driving through the urban space, normally all the alleyways and windows and doorways you couldn't see because the, the wall of the tank is there are gone. So you can see straight into those. And so for situational awareness for the commander, amazing. And this is all; these are all ideas that came from the guys themselves, the soldiers themselves, yep. weren't they? So it's you know, sort of on in in house yeah, um, say, ideas, which is absolutely fantastic. Not not my ideas, not army headquarters ideas. These are the ideas from the guys and girls who use the tanks every single day. Uh, we have something called the Hobart's Committee from Sir Percy Hobart, who came up with Hobart's Funnies in World War Two. Definitely worth the Google. Um, and the uh, the guys and girls submit these ideas. We hold a sort of Dragon's Den esque board where they, they pitch their ideas, and if we think there's mileage, we invest a bit of money, uh, we experiment, and, and we see what we can do with them. That's really cool, really cool. What do you think about sort of financing it, though? Will, it, will, will any of it ever come to fruition, or who knows? So so I think I think the, the intention for us is to to signpost army uh, procurement and capability, and so we, we play with something, we experiment with it, we write a report, and we pass it on to the army and say, this is what we, the RTR, think about this idea, and then clearly... You know, the army funding and all the rest of it is, is out of my space and it's for them to see if they want to go ahead with it. <laughs> so how many, how many Challenger 2s in the regiment nowadays? So we have just moved to a, a Type 58 regiment. Okay. Um, so uh, we now have four four Sabre squadrons, so four yeah. Challenger 2 squadrons, uh, each of 14 tanks. So I know, interestingly, um, a few days ago, funny enough, I was talking to somebody about the whole whole fleet management thing. And for people yeah. who aren't aware, so we went, you know, when I first joined, you got a tank and it was yours. Yes. So you joined the troop and it was yours. And, you know, when, I mean, obviously, I was really old and chieftain and all that sort of thing, and it needed a lot of maintenance. Um, but when you weren't doing any of that, you were cleaning it and you were painting mm. it and all this sort of thing. But now, so in essence, just to explain to people, so in essence now, you will get a vehicle when you need it for operational yeah. or training or yeah. something like that. So, so, so we hold a squad squadrons worth uh, of tanks at the regiment for for training, exercise, okay, and, yeah. and so on. And they, they get moved around. So if one squadron is going on exercise, they get the tanks. Um, and if the others, it gets passed across. There's a lot of maintenance to be done on those, and, and passing tanks around means they get used a lot more. So uh, it's not necessarily less maintenance. Uh, there's, there's more upkeep if they're being used more. But in terms of the operational deployment fleets and, and the rest of the tanks, they're held centrally by the army. And so they're held centrally, maintained, so were we to go to war, yeah, sure. get given these tanks that are ready to go. Um, another question from our audience there. Um, <laughs> your best memory, and it has to be relatively clean, inside a tank. Inside, Ooh. it's got to be inside the inside tank. Inside a tank, that's very specific, isn't <laughs> that's it? Very specific. That's very specific. That's probably one of your, uh, your guys that wrote that or something. So <laughs> it could have been. <laughs> um, so I think my best memory is, 
is linked to to being part of the crew because that was always the most attractive thing about being in the tank regiment for me. That that sort of close bond that you always can't avoid when you're working with sort of you know four people yeah. in a small metal box. Um, and you know when you've had long days and it's raining and the hatch is closed and the sort of banter's flowing inside the tank and people are laughing and joking and you're waiting for your next set of orders. It's it, it's that sort of environment, that sense of camaraderie and belonging that makes it all worthwhile. Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> Um, there's one here for somebody who obviously is going through training at the moment and he or she is asked um, any advice for phase two at Bovington or an insight to what day to day life is like when I'm in the regiment okay well, it sounds like someone's on their way um, so advice for Bovington just give it 100% you know work hard be yourself uh, and you'll get through it and you'll, you'll get to the regiment in terms of what life's like in the regiment that's, that's tough to say I mean if, if nothing else there's variety um, every day is different um, could be working on the tanks could be on exercise, could be deploying overseas for a task, could be doing adventure training, playing sport. It, it really is different every day. There's there's no set routine, um, which for some people, that's and certainly myself, that's the most attractive thing. Of course. It's still sports afternoon? Wednesday afternoon? Wednesday afternoon is still, still sports. Sport. It is still sports afternoon. <laughs> some things never change. Yep. <laughs> um, I had to, I mean, what's this all about? Softly, softly, catchy monkey. There you go. Somebody, somebody wrote this on, on Facebook. So, so a guy called Tam Ferguson will have written that, who uh, is, a, is a man I used to work with, uh, a top man. We were in reconnaissance troop together, uh, and the um, the motto was softly, softly, catch a monkey, which is all about sneaking around quietly to find your enemy before he finds you. Ah, right, okay. Oh, so yeah. it was nothing. I was a bit nope. sort of like <laughs> thinking I may not ask this because you may be in trouble or something. Um uh, we've done a lot about obviously the future of the RTR, etc., etc., etc. I quite like this one there. Um, which tank would you least like to face on the battlefield? I thought that's quite a good question. Yeah, that is a great question. Which tank would I least like? Um, I'm going to say a tank crewed by Royal Tank Regiment. <laughs> such a and the such reason a I, the reason I'll say that <laughs> is again. So if you, you know, I'll draw parallels with the game. So it, it is not about the tank necessarily. It's about the player. And in the same way with real tanks, it's not so much about the tank. They're all good at different things. But if you get a really good crew, that's the force multiplier that makes it really, really decisive on the battlefield. So, uh, a, you know, a well-trained, swept-up crew who know each other well is the most dangerous thing on the yeah, battlefield for the enemy. I, I say it's a question we get asked all the time. I did the, um, the trials when we were looking at Challenger 2. I was involved in the gunnery side of it. So okay. we had... Leclerc, M1A2, uh, Leopard 2. And I have to say, to be perfectly honest, there's not a lot between them. They are all fantastic. They're all very effective. But, you know, so I totally agree. It's all about the training of the crew, how good the crew is. Absolutely. Um, Likewise, somebody did say, and I like this one in particular, historically, so going back a bit, um, what tank would you have liked to have taken into battle? I think after our conversation earlier, I could probably guess. So any tank at all, historically? Any tank at all. So I think it's probably going to be the Mark IV. You know, so I thought you were going to say Tiger One or something. Did you? Like yeah. So I have commanded Tiger One, and that was fantastic. <laughs> so thank you, the Tank Museum, for that opportunity. But I think it would have been uh, you know the Mark the Mark Four tank in World War One. You know that iconic, the first uh, tank ever in terms of making a difference on the battlefield, uh, and the background. You know it's in all of our uh, badges as a regiment. Um, so to to have been in that would have been superb. But a very very different crew, uh, tank. You know lots of people standing up in a smoky, dark environment, no sort of comfortable seats, electronics, very, very mechanical, but exciting. I'm glad you brought up about badges, because I was going to forget otherwise. So somebody did ask, why, why the uh, the wings? <laughs> I saw that question. So, you know, we don't so if I was just listening, uh, we, Jim, we Jim's tap. got on his, on his black coveralls, he's got a set of para wings. So, uh. 
Um, so when I was with the uh, the uh, joint CBRN regiment that do the chemical and biological warfare, yep. a role that the Royal Tank Regiment used to do when we had two battalions, um, we used to attach people to the um, uh, 16 Air Assault Brigade and 3 Commando. And so there's opportunity to get yourself away and do one of the selection courses. And so that, that's what I did there. And of course, it's a nice thing to wear any coveralls as well. More badges. Quite <laughs> being in the scouts. <laughs> More badges. Um, uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. I think we've sorted on this, but what do you think are the biggest challenges faced by tank forces today on and off the battlefield? That's a really good question. Uh, how long have you got? Um, okay, so I think I think on the battlefield, um, technology. You know, the pace of technology is absolutely phenomenal at the moment. And I think the biggest challenge now with all of the UAVs, sensors, uh, you know, as we've seen in places like Ukraine, you know, people taking pictures with their phones and posting on social yeah, media, sure. and immediately you've seen, well, there were tanks in that wood because it's on Facebook. There's so much flow of information. It's quite hard to hide in a tank now. You know, there's so many things looking for you. So I think it is all about speed and surprise rather than hiding. And uh, final question, really, and obviously this is by your soldiers, because it's an awful lot of likes. Can we take Monday off? <laughs> I know, but you can have yesterday off instead. Uh, that's, so what's the, what's the future for the regiment then, Jim? What's, um, what are you up to in the you know, next 12 months or so? Or? So, so future of the regiment over the next 12 months, um, lots of exciting exercises on the cards. Um, I think we're, we're deploying to, to various countries. Um, I think we've just come back from the Arctic Circle, as I mentioned, working with the Canadians. That was fantastic. Wow. Uh, they have LAVs, which is a great vehicle, but it was mainly dismounted, digging snow holes, survival techniques. Um, we um, Shortly, there'll be a squadron going off to Finland um, to practice some fighting in forests, which is quite an unusual environment for the tanks, quite close in. Obviously, with the trees, it restricts how you can traverse yeah. the turret and uh, the length of the barrel. So we'll learn some lessons there. Um, but a busy year of, uh, of exercising um, before, uh, in the next year or so, beyond that, uh, we'll look to go to Batus, which again is the, the big training estate in Canada, uh, where we'll do full brigade level uh, training. So that's a full brigade in the field, which is which is quite exciting to see. Um, uh, something to look forward to. How would you compare? Um, I mean, because obviously batters, and we've got what's the equivalent in England? Uh, Salisbury Plain. Salisbury Plain. I suppose yep. we haven't really got much else. I mean, but there is. What would you say the comparison between the two is? It's a lot easier to get lost in Batters. You'll know yourself. <laughs> the one tree. You yeah. can drive for an awful long time not knowing entirely where you are in Canada. Um, so it's it's just bigger. Um, and and it, it simulates that friction uh, in war and that you can just drive and drive and drive. Um, so you need to navigate. But also for live fire ranges, um, we normally live fire the tanks in Wales. Um, but it's, it's, mine, relative, yeah, yeah. it's relatively restrictive uh, because... Um, uh, a 120 round goes a long way, so you have to give it a lot of space uh, when you're planning that range. Whereas in Canada, it's so vast, uh, it allows you to do almost warfighting practice and, and fire in all the arcs rather than quite a restricted area. And it seems to me over the last few years, there seems to be a lot of emphasis on, we, we mentioned a bit about street fights from mm. that, but there seems to be much more emphasis. I mean, for us, it was always like obua or fibua or whatever the terminology is nowadays, so fighting in built-up areas. Yeah. Um, it was it was something we always, let's face it, steered away from. It was like, no, tanks, tool, tanks never go into towns and everything. Yeah. Why do you think there's such a... We seem to be going more and more towards this. Is it purely because of the, the climate at the moment? And yeah, I mean, you talked about the abbreviations. My one is fish, uh, fighting in someone's house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that one. That's the, that's the best, yeah. But I think, um, so the lesson we learned from um, uh, early, early Iraq in the invasion yeah. of Iraq was that the, the tanks were the first into Basra. Um, and, and after decades of people talking about no tanks in cities, actually we ended up using them as the first thing into cities, that shock action they were able to provide. 
but also the other pieces. Um, as the populations move more towards cities, it's more likely the fighting ground and the things you'll want to secure are actually in cities. So we need to prepare ourselves for, for fighting in that sort of environment, which for a tank creates a lot of challenges. It's close in, it's complex, it, it limits your visibility. And that's why we're playing with Street Fighter, to look at ways we can offset some of these disadvantages and turn them actually into our favour. And, I mean, finally, I guess, how is how is recruitment going nowadays as far as the, the British Army in general and obviously the, the RTR in particular? Um, recruitment's good. Uh, I think the Army is still a job that offers a really unique challenge to young people in terms of challenge and variety and travel and so on. Um, we're very fortunate in the RTR in that we're, we're one of the um, best man units uh, in the Army. Um, I think we're, we're, you know, we have a brand. We're very unique. A lot of people have heard of us. It's great to see in World of Tanks that all the British crews are Royal Tank Regiment and the Blackberries in there. Um, so, so we're in a good place for numbers. Jim, I'd just like to say thank you so much for taking the time to come in today. Um, it's really, really interesting, and um, good luck with everything in the future. Absolute pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me.